0: You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Great evening, Drawing Board Nation. This is the host and the founder of the Drawing Board Podcast, where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Tonight I have on the show one of my very good friends. We go back like crackerjacks. I like to say um, we met when I was, when what? I was probably about 19, 18, 19.
1: I want to say 18. Yeah,
0: 18 or 19. Uh, my very good friend, Mr. Jonathan Scales. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the invite.
0: Absolutely better known as J Scales. That's what they call <laughs> you. Okay. So, yeah, man, tonight uh, we just get a, You get a chance to see two old friends kicking it and catching up. But John is the founder of Real Life Mentoring.
1: So yes. break it down for me, sir. What is Real Life Mentoring? So it encompasses everything that just the title, real life. Um, what we do back in the day, me, um, two friends of mine, Mark Miller and Kevin Polite, we came together. We was working at a residential facility and we said, you know, we can hit a lot more people than just a residential community. So we reached out to a couple of kids in the neighborhood and me and Mark just happened to stay in the same neighborhood. So throughout that, um, we actually sent a couple of, dudes, um, they just watched how we moved, playing basketball with them and just talking to them. And then we actually helped this one young man get into college and further his dreams and everything to ch- play professional, not professional, but college football at a Division One school. So um, he branched off and went towards the public school sector. And I kind of kept it going on the private sector. I still do residential. Okay. But um, I kept it on the private sector where I only get... Um, when people come to me as a referral, like, I have a nephew, I have a niece, I have a cousin that kind of needs somebody strong-willed, black, African-American male to kind of just help them on their road. Um, a lot of time where you don't have that strong presence, healthy presence, let me put it that way, okay. in their life. So that's something that I, I, that's my passion. So I just keep it going. Um, we do have, merchandise that I used to sell to help fund that but I stopped that years ago like probably like four or five years ago but um I've been blessed to you know touch a lot of lives and a lot of you know young lives touch me and they still reach out even to this day I have lives that's been married for years now and they still reach back and say thank you so blessings oh yeah that's amazing
0: so when you got ready to make an impact in your community Like mentoring was the vehicle that you used, Right. Yes. And so I guess I would ask you, like out of all of the tools that are out there, like why mentoring? And then what is what is like define mentoring for me?
1: What what it was? What is it to you? So mentoring to me, my definition is just reaching back and helping somebody find their path in life. Okay. Um, And I was fortunate enough to have that person. In my life, as I was coming through high school now, everybody know I'm a Michigan State fan, okay. smart into to the day I die. But um one of the guys that helped mentor me when I was in high school, he ended up going to Ohio State. So he told oh, me he was leaving. Yeah. yeah. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay.
0: Hold on. So your mentor is an Ohio State Buckeye. Oh, wow. I'm ashamed to say that. Okay. Listen. No, but go ahead. You were saying um, he was mentoring
1: you? Yes. Um... Informally, he didn't even realize how much I looked up to him uh-huh. and how much I try to idolize and try to follow his footsteps. So when he told me I'm going into high school, he's going into college. Yeah, I'm going to Ohio State. This is where I'm majoring. I was like, easy, easy done. I'm going to go to Ohio State. Oh, I hate saying that now. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. But and do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so in, uh, you visit our campus numerous times, but through the program at Spring Arbor University, we had to do an internship program. Hold on, wait
0: a minute. I don't hear how you say I visited the campus numerous times. Numerous so times. There's, there's a joke behind that because uh, John went to school with my wife, and uh, they were part of my cup and other like oh. diverse programs that were there to encourage African Americans to not enter, not to just only enter college but to also complete college and to make college a fulfilling experience. so uh, when I would be on campus, I was there so much that they thought I was a Spring Arbor student, yeah. and when I needed a place to to, to rest or to crash, <laughs> I would come to John's apartment. And then wake up the next day and go spend time with Shalisa and all that other good stuff. So, yeah.
1: yeah, that's what that's so what when your he, people need so, to hear. So,
0: so when he heard numerous, <laughs> I, I felt all of that passion behind the numerous times. So, yeah, I would be at Spring Arbor numerous, <laughs> <laughs> numerous
1: times. Uh, that's why I said yeah. it. you've come a long way because I wanted to tell your public he used to sleep on my couch. <laughs> I did.
0: I was. I listen. I would go crash on the couch. Because I wanted to spend time with Shalisa and we were trying to do things the right way, yeah. So uh, we would crash on the couch and uh, Demille, you, uh, Jesse, Jesse, uh, oh, um,
1: I can't think of his name. Ray
0: Allen, what was? Remember, he looked just like Ray Allen. I want to say DeJuan. DeJuan, DeJuan. Oh, yeah. Everybody would fall, Tai Taishi. Everybody yeah. would fall through your place, and so we had so many connections because you know Taishi and I grew up. Yes. In Fort Wayne, Indiana together. Okay. And then, uh, you know who I had on the show? I had Allison Dollison. Uh, her last name wasn't Dollison then, but Allison, who went to Spring Arbor.
1: She she left a year before I came. Oh, okay. So I know who you're talking about. Right. Because I met her the previous year before I actually enrolled there.
0: Yeah, so Allison came. Uh, I had her on the show. And then uh, Ovita, you remember Ovita? Yeah. Ovita goes to my church. So, and then, you know, of course, all of the Cornerstone connections that came through Spring (laughs) Arbor, Darren and Damon and uh, all the rest of those guys uh, that I grew up with. So there's so many connections that we had from being at Spring Arbor when I would show up there numerous times.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a true— Oh, um, Leandra? Yeah. Yeah. It's a true definition of that six-degree separation because everything comes full circle. Right. So— um. Let's break off a little while and let me tell you a little backstory about Andre. Oh, wait a minute, hold on. This this did not. Get... <laughs> no, go ahead. It's the funniest thing, the most <laughs> sanctified, holiest person that I've knew growing up in college and everything. You and your wife, Shalisha. Okay, it's just amazing. Do your public know where you two met at? Oh yeah, we met at the club. Yes. <laughs> at we, a nightclub. At a
0: nightclub where I was there to get my groove on <laughs> and to dance the night away. So This
1: man was the walking Michael Jackson on oh, era. <laughs> the dancing machine. I still
0: have some moves. I won't bust them out right now, Please but don't. yeah. <laughs> but literally, uh, we decided, man, we're gonna hang out and you know, I had been in the place where I was looking for my wife, but I didn't I wasn't looking for her at the club. Right. So, yes. <laughs> so when I when I met her, I was talking trash to your basketball team. Remember, I was talking so much out. Listen, I used to talk I still talk trash, but I was talking so much trash because I think that our team was getting ready to play your team in basketball like in the coming week or something like that. OK. And so I was like, oh, man, my team going to mop all because your your whole basketball team was there. And so I said,
1: man, my team going to mop all of y'all up. You, you, you. and I." Because the day I met you, you know, your wife, we took her, and that's little sister. Right. So we, when she came into it, even though she was older than us, she was— Little sis. Yeah, little sis. Like, yeah. okay, so she was like, yo, you have to meet this guy. I met him in the club. I was like, time about, time about freeze. <laughs> you right. Met him weird. <laughs> right, right, right. So I said, okay, let me, let me check him out. Let me see if he gets the approval. So, at the time, Kim, my wife, she just happened to be there, too. So, we checked you out. I was like, okay, I kind of like this guy. Okay, I see what she's talking about. Yeah, I remember you came over to the, uh, uh, what did, What was it called then? The Villages.
0: The Villages. You came yeah. over to the Villages, and she was like, you got to meet this dude named John. I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> all right. So then I met you, I was, and you always said, hey, how you doing, brother? I was like, okay, seems to be a cool dude. And then uh, I got a chance to meet your now wife, Kim, mm-hmm. and I thought you all made a, a handsome and beautiful couple. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he cool. And you didn't try to come at me sideways. So yeah. I was like, okay, all yeah. right. But there was someone, you know. <laughs> and so
1: we're going to leave nameless. Yeah, we nameless. Leave, Yeah, we'll
0: leave nameless. Uh-uh. And it was, you know, uh, that was back in my early days, you know, yeah. so. We, a couple of my riders had come with me. And that's why I was know, about to say you know, letter. He yeah. didn't
1: ride solo. He, no, he came with an entourage. I, came, I did. I
0: came with a crew because I heard that there might have been a little <laughs> static or friction, you know. And uh, But
1: there was no static
0: or friction. No, because he, he was on
1: the outskirts anyway. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, I mean, you know, still, still a cool guy. Yeah, uh, he just you know had an issue with me coming up there and <laughs> claiming what was rightfully you know yeah, yeah. Who, was,
1: who was yours <laughs> yeah right
0: who I had found you know so anyway as we digress um and it's funny you bring that up though so I had a chance and an opportunity uh to be at the wedding to be a groomsman in the wedding you know yes, no a I'm saying oh I got it, I got it Listen, oh I was about and say so no I two. said to be at the wedding and to be in the wedding. And, man, it was a beautiful thing to see you and your wife pledge your love for each other because if anybody know, John loves him some Kim. <laughs> and uh it's funny how uh some people say that you're opposites, but you're really compliments, right? Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that whole union, I'm not talking about a 50% of a person and a 50%. I'm talking about two whole people uh, coming together in a union under God and to be there to witness that. We were young guys, man. You got to realize, man, look, I was 21 when I got married and you were, what, 22, 23, Um, 22 or 23. You're
1: going to get me in trouble, brother. (laughs) No, I'm not. So you
0: were in your early 20s, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And like we were both, you know, dedicated and committed and pledging our love to our wives when
1: other people may have said, oh, man, you're in your 20s. You need to be, you know, living Uh, it up. Everybody said you are making the biggest mistake by marrying so young. Right. But in my world, all i seen is, like, well, whether I do it today, tomorrow, or two years from now, this is going to be my wife. So it didn't make a difference. And you was the same way. Right. It's just, like, head first, we just dove in. That's it. So, like, that paid dividends off. It did because, you know, and, and you don't,
0: We don't want to get into the whole issue of comparisons, but a lot of the same people that told me to wait are still not married to this day or they have been married and they've gone through. So, like, this is encouragement to, you know, young people. Now, I will say this, getting married young has its own set of challenges, right? It did. It did. It has its own set of challenges, the ups and downs, the still pursuing, you know, uh, as far as your education goes, you know, still developing your career, uh, job loss, job gain, all of those types of things. Right. Mm-hmm. But here's the interesting thing about that is job loss and job gain and transitions are not just character to one decade of life. Like I know people that are in their 40s that are going through job loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are married. I know people who are in their, uh, you know, mid 30s and they're starting entirely new careers. So when it comes to marriage for me and I'll, I'll pitch it to you, see what you think. I think it's just really like the bedrock of commitment, the choice to not. I won't, And I don't want to make it to sound like uh, an enduring choice, but it is an enduring choice to love every day. What do you think?
1: Yes. Love but what people fail to realize, a lot of single people that see people that's married want to idolize it from a distance and want to paint this beautiful picture of rose petals falling before your feet as you walk and wake up in the morning. I and am King Jaffee <laughs> Joker, ruler of Zamunda. And, and I try to tell them. Being older now, it's nothing like that. You could throw out the rose petals and it's more like, why do you got all that blanket? <laughs> right. Share the blanket with me. Right, right. It's freezing cold. Right. So um, I definitely would say you definitely have to have a friendship in order for a, any marriage to work. Because when the love gets a little sour, the only thing to sweeten it is friendship. You have to have a foundation um, because trust and believe— I have yet to meet a married couple where it doesn't get a little sour. Right. I didn't say go bad. I just say get sour. Yeah. So you need to sweeten that with any type of substance. Any type of substance you use has to have a foundation of friendship. That's my personal opinion.
0: So how do you cultivate a healthy friendship in a marriage? Um... Or prior to marriage or prior to you know, how marriage. How do you cultivate a healthy put like this? How do you cultivate a healthy friendship without getting stuck in the friend zone?
1: Okay, so funny story. All right. Um when I first met my wife, I was in the friend zone. Okay. As you can say. Um when I say How'd I you was, break out? <laughs> I didn't break out. I think she came and found gave me the key and said, Look, you're going to date me. She was a little bit of a bully, you know. Okay. All right, like you. Hey, <laughs> yeah, I, I took off. You know, needs to say, I, my life has changed dramatically when I left. My first year I spent at Alabama State University. I oh. didn't go to Spring Arbor. Okay. Um, and the reason why I love my mother dearly, she probably gonna listen to this later, this podcast. Right. Um I love her too. <laughs> Hi, the to mama scales. Hey, hey. But I wanted to get so far away from my parents, I wanted to make sure they had to get on a plane and plan to come see me. Right. Before um and then at the time I had a uh, a couple of guys that was kind of out to kill me. I just didn't let my parents know that because of the interaction we had back in high school. Okay. So I just wanted to get away from Detroit. So fast forward, mid-semester, first semester, my freshman year of college, at Alabama State University. Yeah. Uh, I get a phone call. Uh, no, I, I take that back. I walk into my room. My roommate at the time told me, yo, um, you got a couple of people looking for you from um, Mumford. Um, From your high school I'm like oh Because he went to the same school I went to High okay. school So he was like I think Kim And then boom Right when he said that She called Kind of scary Because I'm like How did you get this number <laughs> You know right. We haven't talked oh, Anything like that Ladies do their research Exactly right. and she was like You know We had a, such a great friendship I was just kind of wondering Why you disappeared Well I didn't want to go into too much detail And let her know Like to be honest I was scared for my life <laughs> I had to run Right Um. So we caught up stayed in communication, came back every break. I made sure I was over her house. Right. Friendship. She had a boyfriend at the time. At the time. At the time. Yeah. Uh, Uh, And then we was able to plant that seed and grow with that without even knowing we even planted the seed. It took my best friend, the white beavers, we call him Paco, to tell me I was sitting there as kitchen Taylor. I was like, yo, I just need a girlfriend, man. I could be such a great guy, you know. Uh, I could do this, 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 and that. I just don't understand why women are not drawn to me. And he just kind of stopped and almost threw a plate at me and was like, dude, you're dating Kim. <laughs> and I was like, no, we just be hanging out. <laughs> We're not dating. He was like, think about everything that you just said and everything that you guys did. And then as I took a survey, I was like, wait a minute. Then I brought it to her attention. And she kind of looked at me like, uh, duh. <laughs> so like that's how that was cultivated without even knowing. It was just something that grew. So now I I have to ask you this question because
0: there's always the question of can men and women be in platonic relationships without things changing? Hold on.
1: Wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Because
0: here's the thing. Because, I mean, we're married now, you know, all of that. But
1: I still say yes. I have a reason why. No,
0: no. here's Here's the thing, though. Because you were the friend, right? Yes. And she had a boyfriend. Yes. And he had to be okay with this friendship, right? Yes. But then... He's a nice as guy. the dark night, you know, as the dark night. Misunderstandings yes.
1: precipitated. <laughs>
0: precipitated, right? And... That led to. <laughs> and the the once friend has now become the lifelong husband. Yes. So <laughs> so he may have had some legitimate concerns, right? He may have had some legitimate concerns.
1: You could say that. Could,
0: yeah. <laughs> but mean, he
1: didn't at the time. He didn't. He was all... <laughs> he
0: must have been a fool.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> we were truly friends. Right. We were truly friends. Okay. And I, was, and I was, you, you can have a platonic relationship with the opposite sex and still be friends. Now, mind you, when they were dating, they were, um at their strongest point in their relationship, we were truly friends. I didn't look at her. I was actually tr- seeking out one of her friends. Okay. And she was helping me. That's how we was able to put a friendship together. Understood. And because she shared lockers with um, the, the female I was pursuing, While I wanted to pursue. She just wasn't about that life at all. She was just like, leave me alone.
0: I get it. <laughs> I understand. And in the midst of her getting ready to try to hook you up with her home girl, she gets a chance to discover how great you really are. And then under those platonic conditions, you know, when the time was right and when everything was appropriate, you all graduated the relationship into dating and then on to marriage.
1: Yeah, we're gonna say that. Yeah, well, let's say it that way. You <laughs> see,
0: I tried, I tried to dress it up, put it in a tuxedo. But, <laughs> but here's the thing though. Uh, out of that union, and really what I'm doing is I'm framing uh, getting the chance to look at the man behind the work, right? Yes. So your passion for your community, uh, the love that you have for God as far in your faith, uh, the love that you have for your wife. And then now, man, listen, even on your Instagram, you title yourself Nadia's father. Yes. So, yeah, I, I can tell, man, that fatherhood is a huge cornerstone. In the character of, of John Scales, right? Yeah. And so, uh, this is what allows you to be effective in your ministry to your community, uh, in your mentorship within your program. It is those cornerstones and foundations that, and really you got it honest too. I was, you know, I want this to be uh, mainly about you, but you have a pioneering mother who, you know, is definitely community is at the center of her heart. So Mm -hmm. you've seen this modeled, uh, throughout your life you know, what it means to be involved in community. True,
1: true. Yeah. Now, my mother is the reason I am who I am today because her work ethic, yeah, her uh, network ability, networking ability, and just her passion to um, do the best that she can by any and everybody that she's around really drove me to the field I'm in, the mentorship thing, um, and the, the facilities I work at. Just kept me going, because um, a lot of people ask, "Why are you still here?" <laughs> right, and I tell them, "It's passion. Passion keeps me coming back week after week." Because the average week, I work six days. Um, yeah. And yeah. The only day I keep, um, it's the Sabbath. It's the it's Sunday. That's the only day I do not work. Um, Typically when when my daughter was born I worked 7 days a week every week to pay for childcare expenses because right. my father taught me if you're going to be a man be a man step up don't complain just get to make sure you get the big piece of chicken you know get the big piece of chicken <laughs> um so I had to work 7 days for a couple of years Full time, and then basically another full time to make sure that I was able to provide the level of care I wanted for my daughter. And it's funny that you put that in that you actually seen that on my Instagram account that it says your Father because all titles come and go. Right. You know, CEO, CO, CFO, mentor, director, titles come and go. But the one title that would never leave is Father. Absolutely. So she's what drives me every day to make sure I. Set up a life for her, but not place her in a bubble where she doesn't know about life. That's good. Break it down for me. What you mean? I, I I feel like I understand what you mean by that, but break it down. So what I mean by that is as parents, we want to give our children everything we didn't have. Wrap it up, bubble tape them in a bubble, like we're going to keep you safe and everything. But we forget and we neglect to give them the things that we did have and the struggles that we did have because – it molded the person we became. So I want to introduce her to some of those struggles, some of those heartaches, but in a controlled environment. Now, that's easier said than done, but so far, so good. Right. I don't want to give her the world without her understanding that the world begins with a single penny, and then those pennies build up to something. So you have to appreciate the blessings that's before you before you are being able to be blessed by something that's bigger. And I tell a lot of people that I talk to on a daily basis, uh, even when it comes to work life, they say, you know, people like to complain about their job. And I tell them, you know, until you appreciate where you are right now, he's God is never going to bless you with more. You have to appreciate and fall in love with the process.
0: Right. Now, that's that's a mouthful right there to fall in love with the process. Um and before we jump into that, so let's float that balloon. We're going to come back and get that in just a okay. second. Uh, one of the things that I love about, I, I have learned to appreciate now about being a husband, about being a father, uh, is that uh, you have to fall in love with the process because you are figuring this thing out day by day. You're walking this thing out. You know, your your wife's needs, your daughter's needs, they are fluid from day to day. And the one thing I think about being a husband, being a father is being sensitive enough to those things to provide what they need in that moment. Whether it is emotional support, whether it is encouragement, whether it is prayer, whether it is, uh, red lobster, you know what I mean? <laughs> but like, even down to like knowing, uh, what they were saying. I love what you said about being able to give you the world, but not shield you from the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I practice as a dad is that I want my kids to always be aware, but to not necessarily be exposed. Yes. And so that is the thing that I, I work diligently on. I found out today, man, and I called them and I fussed them out. I did. I talked to them. My kids had created themselves an Instagram account.
1: Oh, wow. Well, oh. And to
0: all of the parents that allow that, you know, that's okay. But for, for your household, for my household, I feel like there's too much happening. I got middle schoolers. So too much happening on social media that will preoccupy their mind or mental space and be a distraction. So Mm -hmm. when I feel that they are mature enough to handle and really, you know, Instagram has so many different things that are on there. And when I found out they had an Instagram, I said, here's option one, shut it down. Here's option two, shut it down. (laughs) I wanna guess three, but right. <laughs> shut it down. So uh man, I remember when Nadia was first born and uh I remember you, you had the ocean sounds <laughs> and I we still do. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm saying that's good. Yeah. And uh what do you love most about being a dad?
1: The process, the journey. Okay. Watching her develop and grow day to day. The only day I I take off every year and I do it purposely is Father's Day. I don't want to go nowhere. I don't want to see nobody. I kind of just want to take that day in to myself. Okay. Not, and I'm not bashing anybody that does the dinners and the, the whole um, I don't want everybody to see me. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Right. But I like to take that day until she gets to the point where she's able to give me a car to say, dad, let's go out to eat my treat," something like that. That's why I think the, the epitome of a father's day encompasses is your child doing something for you special. Now I thank God for family and everything. Hey, you're a great dad and everything. But until I hear it from her words, her mouth that says, you know, because of you, I am, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, so the great the best father's day for you would be whatever degree of
0: her acknowledgement, yes, and until she's able to do or at whatever level she whatever level she's able to express that or however she expresses that, mm-hmm. you are not just content with that, but that is what floats your boat that is what you know really brings some f- satisfaction and fulfillment for the job you do every day yes that's that's great because I think so many. People are expecting the cookie cutter expression from their children and they actually overlook some of the expressions. They'll say, oh, yeah, well, so-and-so made me a little card and stuff, you know. And when you minimize how someone expresses themselves, then they tend to no longer <laughs> express themselves. Mm-hmm. Or when you say, oh, yeah, they sang a little song. And you minimize what it is that they do, then they underappreciate their own voice. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's great, man. What you're doing as a dad, and uh, I've seen you father so many other children means being their life. <laughs>
1: hold on, hold on, love. you might give me a <laughs> show. Yeah. No. When I say I have father, one, <laughs> one <naughtier laughs> skills. <Right? laughs> when I say
0: father, I mean to be a father no. figure. Yes. In their li- let me let me be more. Let me be more clear with my communication. I've seen you be a father figure to so many other children. And I've seen you be been father figures to father figure to children that other people have thrown away. Yes. And I've seen uh, children who are generally uh, violent and unresponsive. They're either violent or unresponsive to other people's direction. And you could just give them a look. And because you've cultivated that relationship. They are more apt to do, watch this, what's in their own best interest. Yes. And I think that that is what I, and this is just me talking to you based upon my observation. Like I've seen you do that. And I think that's what true mentorship uh, from me watching you participate in their lives is that your presence in their life causes them to make decisions that are in their own best interest, Mm -hmm. not self-serving what you have set up in the program or something, or 12 steps to, you know, be a college graduate or anything like that. And those are healthy. Those are good. But when you can get someone to be reflective on their own life practice and cause them to make a decision that's in their own best interest, I think that you are really
1: allowing them to understand their value. And I think society as a whole really minimize that. Everything that you just said, they minimize it. And I put that on the pedestal because if you look at any child from the age of birth on, children can tell when you're happy, sad, mad, glad, as long as you're transparent. If you live with them, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be transparent. They can just tell. So with me, I deal with a lot of teenagers. Right. And transparency is key and stability. So Hi, um, I'm always the same way. So they know I could give them that look and they he's going to he say no. So I'm not even bother to ask. So you draw upon your own conclusions before I even have to mumble a word. And I do have a lot of people that say, how do you get that level of respect? And you're not as consistent as some of the staff that I work with. Um, they're there 40 plus hours a week. I'm near maybe 25. Right. But when I come in, I say the best gift I give to each individual young person is my presence, essence, and the ability to shut up and just listen to them. A lot of older people, adults from the age of whatever on, love to try to solve. Stop trying to solve their problems and realize you're just there to hear them out and trust and believe that they're going to draw upon their own. Conclusion on how to or solution on how to get through something, and mm-hmm. that's as long as you truly believe that, then the world is yours. With the mentorship aspect,
0: right? So, as a dad, as a husband, uh, you've been a you are a youth counselor. You work social services. You are a case manager, and you are a founder of your own mentoring program. How do you balance with all of that service to people? How do you balance enough time for you?
1: So, m- what a lot of people don't know is that I suffer from depression. Okay. So, I tried the medication, that didn't work. So, what I found out that did work was work, just a steady grind work. And when my mind became idle, I became more depressed. Okay. And that's when negative thoughts entered in. When I'm not idle, when my mind is not idle, I don't have any room for those thoughts. So me pouring myself into somebody or family or my, my job allows me to be a better man. So a lot of people will see that and say, I, I get a lot, you doing too much or how are you able to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll sit down. I'll tell anybody that's my motivation. That's what keeps me going is that work is actually my medication for my depression. Now I may not work for a lot of people, but it works for me. So that's how I'm able to balance so many jobs. Cause you, you as anybody, they don't know when the last time I just had one job and I would go home. I'm not yeah, a nine to five guy. No, no, no. You definitely have, whether it was on the, uh, what were you doing for campaigns? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was early in life. I was, yeah. uh, I actually had a, a Democrat. Email address. You did. Yeah, yeah. I was over the canvassers in Detroit, Right. me and a couple of other guys. We was over about 300, and you happened to come into the office that day.
0: Yeah, that was and, an interesting uh, <laughs> day. Because
1: <laughs> I I, I've always lied about my age, because when I was 22, 23, and directing people with 20 years Senior to me, they didn't want to hear that, you know, this young guy telling them what they need to do and everything. So I get that from my father and my mother, both alpha personalities coming into twine. So if you speak in a certain manner in which that you invite respect by demanding it, then they don't ever question your youth. So that's what I learned from that experience with the campaign and just keep on going. Now I'm old enough. Where I can be like, listen, that's how old I am.
0: Right. <laughs> So when you say speak in a way that invites respect, but it demands it at the same time, Mm -hmm. like
1: break, where's the difference? Break it down for me. So when I first meet a, a male, not so much a female, when I first meet a male, I'm inviting respect when I extend my hand for a handshake. Now I'm demanding it back when I give you a firm handshake. Now, if you don't reciprocate that, that firm handshake, then I'm not respecting you <laughs> after that. So a limp
0: noodle handshake.
1: Yeah, we'll lose all respect. And I think with the average male, that's 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 embodies respect from initial go. Now, your actions may dictate and diminish your respect from there, on, even with a firm handshake. But from initial, that's how you demand respect. Okay, you're going to eye to eye contact, firm handshake. That's what my father always taught me. If a man can't look you in the eye. He's not a man. <laughs>
0: yeah, something something's wrong. He's a little, Yeah, he's and a I'm not ship. saying
1: anything like... No, I got yeah, you. Yeah, but I'm just I, saying um, yeah. that's the first. Now, with women, you have to just look them in the eye and, like, invite the respect in, and then your um, presence is going to demand that respect. You know, you, uh, everybody know that person that they just don't respect at all in life. Like, oh, that's little Jimmy. (laughs) He's going to do what little Jimmy do. Right. But your actions, your day-to-day movements is always going to be reflective if you're going to demand that respect or you're not going to get it at all. So I try to move in such a way that people see me and say, I have no choice but to respect that man. Like, no one's going to look at Obama and say, well, 99.9% of America, in my opinion, is not going to look at President Obama and say, I don't respect what he's done and what he continues to do. You know, he demands it in in an inviting way, you know, so. Right. So and I just want to clear up for the
0: listeners when you're bringing that differentiation between male and female, the way that you engage them is still with the utmost highest level of respect. But it is the manner in which you engage them is that that's different. Yes, Not the level of respect. No, but it's just the manner of introduction and the way that you engage but they're still on the same equal level of respect.
1: Yeah, because for people who don't know, I work with, I want to say, 90 percent women. Right. I don't. I wasn't awarded the opportunity to work with a lot of males in the field that I'm in, the social services field. Um, so I prefer a female supervisor because of the level of respect they're going to give me just on the basis that they're appreciative that I'm a male in this field. Whereas a male in this field is going to feel some type of way of thinking, I'm trying to come after him. So now I have to earn his respect. You know, working with women, as long as you're transparent, as long as you give them respect, they're going to give it back to you. Um And it's easier for me because a lot of times I'm the only male. In the vicinity, so, so you very have, right, very yeah. easy. So
0: just like any social service environment, in most educational environments, the men or the males are the minority. So a lot of some of the uh, heavy lifting, uh, or I'll say some of those tasks like that, are you know given to the men in that environment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is expected that you handle the business. Right. Yeah. So I remember we used to have at uh, Southeast, we, we used to have these dialogues about what is the expectation of men in female dominated industries. Right. So we would have and it would be on Fridays where we would have half day and it would be this man woman discussion or male female discussion. And it would get pretty heated. And it would. But what it would do, what it would unearth, it would unearth the fact that there has to be a balance between the two. And both parties are there to have equal impact. It is just sometimes that our methods are different. Our articulation is very different and our perspective is different which mean makes it a diverse environment and in diverse environments,
1: you'll find the most growth. So I'm glad you said that women in my opinion, women want to solve issues, want to solve power by communicating men. We're not communicators. We're thinkers more so. So when we're quiet, we're actually thinking through something, but women, they're expressing themselves constantly. So it's easier to work with women because I know what they're thinking at all times. They're going to tell me like skills. I need you to do X, Y, and Z. But before you do that, do a, B and C versus when I work with different guys, it's like, dude, you know, we have to get through a, B and C before we get, and he's already at S Y and Z. So that's why I say it's sometimes easier learning the different methods of achieving the same goal. is completely different between men and women. So like I've learned to be very, Bilingual when it comes to speaking to women and men, and but coming to a common a common interest, you know. Yeah, that's good, man. So if
0: I had, if you had to tell me, uh, what is the legacy of John Scales
1: going to look like? The, my legacy, the only thing I can say is, um, at my funeral, uh, whenever that is, I would love for people just one he did it his way, but at the same time for and um, people of every generation of multiple generations um various backgrounds to come together and say wow look at all these people that he's done either touched or impacted um through his walk of life and that's it that's my legacy it's just money comes money goes i figured that out very early in life but your stamp on a person's soul that's forever so um for my daughter to look around the room and say wow like it may be 50 people, it may be 500 people, but whoever is in that room, I want them to share something like he did this for me. So that's my legacy.
0: Well, that's good. And I didn't mean to speak of it in a morbid sense. I know you I know, go there. I but, go there. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, that's fine. But I just wanted to make sure I, I meant so much Uh, like in building this legacy, like the work that you're doing now, the lives that you're impacting now, Uh, Because for every life that you impact at an early age, you're talking about two or three uh, decades of impact. Right. So the life that you impact today uh, within their teen years is going to help them throughout their 20s, empower them through their 30s. Right. And so you never know who you're impacting. You never know about the significance of the work that you're doing, because uh, when it's just your passion, or when it's just something that you're innately gifted to do? Because I was going to ask you and ch- and really challenge you to think, like, is it that it's your passion or do you? And and they're inextricably tied. But when you're fulfilling an assignment or your purpose, I find, man, that God gives you a strength to just keep moving when others may fall short of completing the task. It is something within you that says,
1: I must produce the anointing of a finisher. Like I have to get this done. Yes. <clears throat> and I've been blessed to come across a couple of motivational speakers and people that really um sew into me. Like so who? um well recently Eric Thomas, okay. um the world renowned Eric Thomas, um uh, and then his counterpart, Rodney, um, uh, was trying to get me on the same ship as him. Um but like his mentoring and my mentoring have different degrees so we're at opposite ends of the other spectrum uh, and I was trying to convey that to him um whereas I'm looking for teenagers because if I could if I could cut the circle in half and not have the circle of life on uh, in a perpetual motion of negativity in a young person's life just slice that in half and create a new timeline then it's a success for me and his um, definition is trying to teach you what your strengths and weaknesses are in one simple form, in a booklet, in an assessment. This is what you need to do. You got to go. And a lot of times it's not that simple with the young adults that I work with. You have to first listen, learn, and then cultivate. So
0: yeah, So, is that your method? Is that uh, part of your programming uh, when you're working with your facilitators that our first responsibility is to listen? Our second responsibility is to learn and then
1: cultivate. Is that how you train? Yes. Our obligation is to listen first. Okay. Because, like you said, it's not a cookie-cutter situation or scenario. So every situation is different. I've come across young people, um, the movie The Blind Side, the one with Denzel Washington did with the young man. I don't know the name of that film. Right now, and it's, it's case me where the young man was. Um, oh, who shall cry for the little boy? N- no, not that film. Um, do you, no, Antoine the, Fisher.
0: Ant- yeah, but you remember the poem in there, right? Yes, the poem, yes, Antoine, the poem. Yeah, who shall cry for the little boy? Yeah, and then Antoine says, "To me, I feel like that was such a powerful moment." He said, "I will cry." Yes, for the little boy. Yeah, but one that, day you got to come to this workshop I'm gonna do for grown men.
1: Okay, it's gonna be called "Who Shall Cry for the Little Boy." Okay, but. To piggyback off of that, I've met some young people that those stories seem ideal than their lives that they've actually gone through and lived up to sort of break that cycle and say, yo, there's life after this. I, even though you were dealt a bad hand, your testimony is going to be somebody else's inspiration. But first you got to your obligations to listen to their story and then dissect through that. And then you're able to teach. They're able to learn and then you're able to cultivate. Because if I could plant pumpkin seeds all day, right. a pumpkin seed is going to produce pumpkin. It's not going to produce an apple. It's not going to produce an orange. Mm-hmm. So that's why you have to listen. Your obligation first when work with young people is to listen first. So
0: I think we owe our listeners uh really just the raw truth about Some of the young people that you may work with. And we have a good way of, you know, addressing our words. But we're talking about young people who have been severely neglected or severely abused, Mm -hmm. whether it's physical abuse, domestic abuse or sexual abuse. Yes. uh, Have been left with no really parental covering uh, Mm -hmm. who also may be going through severe mental health challenges. Uh, there may be some codependency there, where we have alcohol or drug abuse along with uh the co-occurring issues of mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking about not in interacting with young people who may be homeless, uh, or you know lack proper domicile. So these are some of the situations that that never really those situations never get air, so they remain suffocated and suppressed, and then all of this behavior starts happening to express the trauma, right? Yes. So these these are not like, you know, children that are just going about their day and you're like, hey, do you
1: need a mentor? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, no. These are not yeah. the typical, quote-unquote, high schoolers that go have a fight, maybe skip a couple of classes, okay, let's redirect you, bring you back on the right path. Right. The, 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 the youth that I work with don't have a path. They just have rocks and stones and dirt. And That's so, good. Yeah, so I try to carve out Um, a path for them or assist them with that. Mm -hmm. I'm not alone. It it truly takes a village and the people that I've been blessed to work with have that passion because it's going to die. This world, this lifestyle is going to dissect um, your soul. And so it's either for you or it's not. So I I applaud the people that do it for multiple years and stay with it. Mm -hmm. But, and I appreciate that. But, I salute the people that weren't able to do it, but at least attempted to and say, you know what, I have to gracefully bow out. It's not for me. I can't do this. You know what I find, man? I, and this is just my opinion,
0: but I have seen it to ring true. I find that a lot of people who end up working in social services are either there to break cycles that occur within their own family, uh, there to heal some type of disconnect or hurt within themselves. And then the mission becomes to empower others. So, like, if you watch the general progression of someone who enters social service, generally they come in a lot of times with the savior complex. Like, I'm getting ready to save all of the children, right? Mm-hmm. All, bring me anybody that's hurt, I'm going to save them. Then that. when they deal with the, with the reality of, like, this is like turning a cruise ship around in the middle of the water. This is going to take some time, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then they are starting to have to confront their own... Uh, Uh, dysfunction you know or examine how they grew up or the things that they experienced and then they become uh when you listen to somebody else's life there are certain triggers that occur that bring back so like for me in social services like when i worked foster care like my dad personally he went through years of foster care so i go and i undo Or I break the cycle or the generational curse of fatherless homes and children in foster care by serving and ministering to those who come from broken homes and are in foster care. Now, did I intend like I'm going to end up in foster care to break this cycle? No, that is not what happened. But my life path. So here's my challenge to you. All right, world, you hear me challenging Jay Scales today like I challenged him to a game of basketball, and he keeps shooting that broke jumper. <laughs> right, man, you don't so, believe that so, so anyway, <laughs> here's my challenge to you, man. Okay. I would love to see you write a book, and it, when you you said something in talking that I thought was powerful, you said sticks, stones, and dirt. You said children who don't have a path, they only have sticks, stones, and dirt. So sticks and stones may what? Break your bones. But words
1: can't hurt you. It can hurt you. Yeah. Right. So
0: I want you to talk about in your you know, as God gives you, you know, the unction or the utterance or, or the ability to express, uh I want you to write a book called Sticks and Stones, uh, a guide for children or people who may have lost or don't have their path.
1: And it's funny that you said that because for a long time mm-hmm. I've thought about that. Yeah. And actually um put it down on paper, um, Lost Voices that I want to be the title. And just each generation, each year to year, I, I keep working with the youth. Right. I want them to put a little bit of their story on paper, and then I edit it and just put it. So it just lost voices and comprised of a lot of different stories.
0: Okay, so let's get a deadline on. Let's get a timeline. Uh, All right, we have it is July. I'm going to give you to December
1: <laughs> to put this together, to,
0: and that's that's a long time, brother. I'm talking about to D- December to have it published.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. So (laughs) if we sat,
0: listen, if we sat down for a whole day, eight hours, and you just thought about the different stories you have come across and you wrote it down, you would have it done. Yeah, I'll
1: probably have it done in a week.
0: That's what I'm saying. So I'm giving you to December, right, to have it published and done. Do you accept the challenge, sir?
1: I don't know. Do you accept the challenge?
0: Listen, on the drawing board podcast i am challenging Jay scales and he's telling me i don't kate do you hear john saying he doesn't know
1: i mean that's quite the time constraint you're giving him
0: exactly oh no 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 especially they, with everything they, no. that i hey, we do we
1: all haven't wrote a book before andre exactly <laughs> but it is, possible. it is possible it is possible but by december is probably not likely okay everything well, i'm trying to do and the programs that i'm trying to start up Mm-hmm. Um, something has to take a back seat. And unfortunately, at this time, writing would be. <laughs> we'll have to take a back seat because uh, I'm still gathering the information. I can't say by December I would have enough literature gathered to put into a book form, but not, not published. <laughs> not published. Not published. But okay.
0: I'm... All right. All right. Since you want to play hardball. Okay. <laughs> January. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. No. So the one thing that I would say, man, is that um, I think that you have a story to tell. I think that it is a powerful story. Uh, we didn't really dive off into, uh, you know, what does depression look like, you know, from day to day? How does it change? You know what was some of the answers? Did you were you able to pray it away? You said the medication didn't work. Uh,
1: you found a way that you know really. Oh, what, it's there. Yeah, it, it never goes away. Yeah. So anybody that suffers from any type of um, illness, with a mental illness, it never fully goes away, even with the medication. It doesn't. The mm-hmm. um, medication, I think, just masks it. Um, a lot of um, symptoms, but or it can um, it can enhance some of those symptoms. But it's a daily grind, a daily prayer uh, every day. I start my day at 4:45 in the morning. Okay, and the reason why? Because when I start at seven o'clock in the morning, I'm I'm moping, I'm slugging through the day. I'm just like, uh. Uh-uh. But when I start at 4:45 in the morning, by the time I get out of bed and get to the gym in the morning, okay, and get home from the gym, get the shower, get to work, I'm working on lunch time. I'm ready to eat lunch at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And to other people, they're ready. To eat breakfast. So when those hard times hit, when those difficult situations, and when I have to think logically first thing in the morning at 9 a.m. for mm-hmm. a lot of people, I've already got four hours in the bank. Right. That I've been up and producing and able to draw upon exercise as a medi- meta not meditation. medication, but... Meditation? Meditation. Right. Versus somebody that wakes up, jump in the shower, get dressed, and off to work at their door. So anything... That happens throughout their journey to work is either gonna enhance their experience for the day or hinder some of it. So positive or negative. Whereas me, I could literally somebody could cut me off. Who cares? Uh anyway, um, I keep it going because I've been up and rolling with it. So And biologically, the amygdala as far as your brain goes. I need to use a big word. No, no, I'm saying the but I was thinking I because know, so we listen,
0: the <laughs> amygdala communicating to the hypocampus, uh Begins to send or release cortisol, which is that stress hormone. Okay. uh, Or I don't know if it's a hormone or not, but either way it goes, it releases that cortisol. Uh, I was going to crack a joke because, you know, they had those commercials where they say, you know, cortisol levels lead to belly fat, right? Okay. So I I was thinking, and this is just me in my own little corny way. I was like, yeah, anytime I start gaining some weight, I was (laughs) going to be like, yeah, that's just that cortisol at work. But, you know... uh, but when you work out, that endorphin release, you know, uh, it says meditation. It's yeah, it's crucial. Meditation and exercise actually produce a healthier brain because stress has two different facets that is going to run. So all of us have the commonality of some type of stressor, right? Mm -hmm. But stress either runs to eustress, which is the positive stress channels in the right direction that propels us forward or distress, which provides that angle of, you know, it depresses, it weighs down, but when you work out. Then it allows for that brain to be functioning. All those synaptic uh, connections are firing. So the mind is in alert in a
1: simpler form because he went really scientific. No, on I'm us. saying like, I was just I was just looking
0: at this. <laughs> but no, no, no. Uh, Let training. me paint
1: a picture really quick in 15 seconds. Yeah. I could paint a perfect picture. Um, your fondest memories in elementary school always happen around recess time, looking forward to it or afterward. Okay. The average person. So imagine getting up every day and able to go through research, recess first, and then go out, go through our show day. It's just a a lot better experience because you didn't have your fun. I go work out with the same people every day. I talk trash. Anybody know me know I talk trash about sports and everything. Love to get into an argument or debate with them. Right. Play a little basketball. And then you mean to tell me I get to go to work after that? You get what I'm saying? I'm not ending my day. I'm beginning my day on a high note every single morning. So it's, it's kind of hard to be depressed when I start it that way.
0: You you shoot that broke jumper every morning? No, you know it's not right. Oh, bad. man, he, the, shoot, listen, he shoots, that, he shoots that broke jumper every <laughs> single – a left-hand broke jumper <laughs> every single morning. No, <laughs> no but he, got, he has a pretty good shot. I have to give it to him. He has a pretty good shot. Um, but, man, listen, it has indeed, my brother – Indeed, indeed, indeed. Been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, You know, man, we have been uh, two working souls, man, providing for our family. So time has not allowed for us to connect as much as we should. But, you know, now that we are back in touch and communicating, man, we got to get the wives together and the families together. Uh, because, I mean, this is just a good time to watch somebody. It means something to see somebody who you have grown with. And watch God bless them, you know, and through the ups and the downs, the mountains, the valleys, the good times, the bad times to see them a stay in their faith, even when their knees are are buckling, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, but to stay with God and then to also be committed to their families. Uh, be, being married is the choice every single day and to see God still blessing your union and to see, man, that that the love of God you have for your daughter You know, man, that is such a blessing, a great role model to other children. And uh, I just want to say, man, you got to continue doing that work because you never know who you're ministering to or who you're mentoring. Mm -hmm. And you never know. Here's the here's the greater thing. You never know who they may end up mentoring.
1: And that's that's my dream. That's a part of my legacy, like I said, to create a new timeline, whereas before they might have thought only about self-preservation, Right. Now, they're stepping outside the box and say, "You know what? I I can reach back, teach one." So yeah, that's a brilliant point and, to conclude this.
0: Yeah. So scales, where can they where can they get in touch with you if they if they desire to?
1: Um, through my Instagram underscore scales underscore underscore. Um, get in contact with me or just give me a you know phone call uh, anytime. My line is always open. I don't believe in privacy as far as that now i won't give my uh, if you go to my instagram <laughs> you go that way. i don't I believe in my, privacy but i'm not gonna give you my number the though. only <laughs> reason i have to shield myself because some of my youth that's in residential they come out and they will find this podcast like oh that's his number oh yeah and it's hard to explain to my superiors at the institution why you're communicating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i understand so uh in order to keep all
0: lines kosher, if they want to get in touch with you, the best way Mr. is Instagram, Instagram underscore, Skills. scales, underscore, underscore. 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 Yes. Okay, great. So real-life mentoring, uh, youth empowerment specialist, awesome dad, loving husband, and just an all-around wealthy soul. Yes. Uh, Mr. Scales, it has been great having you on. Thank you. And Thank I, you. I just want to shout out to all of my listeners to the Drawing Board Nation. Here, I get a chance to make the announcement. The drawing board experience 2020. First of all, let me say drawing board experience 2019 ultimate success. Thank you to all of the vendors that came out. Thank you to all of the speakers that brought their energy, their wisdom, their experience to the stage. Thank you to everybody who expressed their way in any type of sponsorship toward the event. We got a lot done and we're still moving. So there was a demand upon me, my wife, and all of those involved to say, we have to do this next year. Well, here's good news. The drawing board 2020 is in full effect June 6th, mark the date, the first weekend in June, we're going to have the drawing board experience. God has already given me, listen, the vision and the topic for that day. You ready for it? Drum roll, please. The power of vision. Think your way clear. That's powerful. See your way clear. I'm sorry. The power of vision. See your way clear. Drawing Board 2020. Now, you know, I am the host and the founder of this podcast. Your future is not behind you. It is not before you. It is within you. I'm Andre Ebron and God bless.